In today's episode, my guest, Jeffrey Tumlin, author of Stop Talking, Start Communicating, will give you some counterintuitive secrets on how to vastly improve your communication skills. Let's do it. Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, where it's all about helping real engineers to overcome real challenges and get real results. And now for your host, who is on a mission to inspire as many engineers as possible, professional engineer and certified career coach, Anthony Fasano. Welcome to the show. This is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. You can visit engineeringcareercoach.com for tons of free resources to help you with both your career development and personal development. You can check out our blog, podcast, we have guides and other resources that can help you. I'm really excited about today's episode because we have Jeff Tumlin who's going to be talking about his book, which is Stop Talking, Start Communicating. And it's an awesome book. And as engineers, we need to constantly, constantly focus on our communication skills. I also have Chris Knudsen, who's going to be joining me, getting more involved in this podcast. He's going to be doing the interview with me as well today with Jeff. And before we jump into the main segment of the show, I want to do two quick things. One, I want to mention to you one more time about the Engineering Career Success Summit. That's an event we're going to be putting on down in Washington, D.C., April 30th through May 2nd. It's going to focus on developing your communication skills as an engineer, developing your networking abilities. Everything is in your relationships. So you have to focus on building those skills, also developing your leadership abilities. We have some top speakers from Jonathan Fanning, author of Who You're Becoming. Chris and I are both going to be speaking. We've got a whole slate of panelists that are successful engineering executives that are going to be there to help you. And we've got a fun aspect of it too. We've got parties, we've got tours. So please check it out. It's engineeringevent.com. It's not too late to still get your tickets and come. And we also have a virtual option. If you can't make it there, we're going to summarize all the sessions and we'll send it to you if you're interested in the virtual ticket. Once again, that's engineeringevent.com. I hope that we get to meet you in Washington, D.C. To bring us into the main segment of the show and start the interview with Jeff, I want to give you a quote. And the quote goes as follows. Take advantage of every opportunity to practice your communication skills so that when important occasions arise, you will have the gift, the style, the sharpness, the clarity, and the emotions to affect other people. And that's from Jim Rohn. Now it's time for the main segment of our show. I'm really excited about today's show. We're going to talk about communication. We have an author here, Jeff Tumlin, who I'm going to introduce momentarily. I also have Christian Knutson here with me. Chris is a civil engineer. He's worked as an engineer in the Air Force for the last 20 years. And Chris and I are joining up forces. He has written at the Engineer Leader blog for the last few years. And you heard him on episode 50. He actually interviewed me to celebrate episode 50 of this show. So I'm really excited to have Chris here on the show with us doing the interview. And you'll hear a lot more from Chris moving forward. With that, let me introduce our guest and jump right into our topic of communication today. Jeffrey Tumlin is the CEO of Mouthpiece Consulting and is the author of Stop Talking, Start Communicating, Play Dumb, Be Boring, Blow Things Off, Lose Your Friends, and Other Counterintuitive Secrets to Success in Business and Life. 
Jeffrey earned a PhD and an MA from the University of Texas at Austin and a BS from the United States Military Academy at West Point. As a frequent media guest, Jeffrey's writing and ideas on communication and leadership have appeared in Fast Company, Inc.com, Fortune.com, CNN Money, Investors Business Daily, and there's a long list of other channels, radio programs, etc. He's also been featured in many journals, newspapers, and textbooks with his writing. So we're super excited to have Jeff with us today. And Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. And thanks, Chris. It's a real pleasure to be here tonight. So let's jump right in. Jeff's book is a very interesting book, and it does look at things kind of from a counterintuitive perspective, which I think is what makes it such an interesting read. So Jeff, in reviewing your book, Stop Talking and Start Communicating, it's clear that your counterintuitive advice springs from a serious concern about communication today in our world. What is it about our communication today that's keeping you up at night? Concern that although the digital revolution has been overwhelmingly positive for communication itself, wonderful new ways for us to reach out and interact with each other, I'm concerned that the essentially what has happened in the last 15 years is the vast majority of the new ways to communicate that have proliferated encourage expedient or easy communication. And that's not a problem, except that a lot of the harder things we need to do with our communication, like, for example, argue, resolve conflict, persuade, provide emotional support, just to take four of there are a number of other, but those are four difficult communication skills. And I'm concerned that all of our overwhelming emphasis on communication channels that are more expedient, so that in a given day, I'm spending the vast majority of my time communicating in ways that are relatively easy, whether that's by text message or whether that's by email, that and social media, what have you, those forms of communication dominate overwhelmingly most of our days. And I'm worried that all of our communication skills for the more difficult things our communication needs to do are becoming a little bit rusty and that many of us are finding that when we go to reach for these more difficult communication behaviors, like arguing sensibly, resolving conflict, being able to provide real-time emotional support, being able to persuade somebody for an important message, that we go to reach for these skills and we're finding that we're not as successful as we used to be and that our higher stakes conversations are failing more frequently than we'd like them to. That's interesting. So basically, while the kind of this digital communication, whether it's texting, social media, while they can be powerful and they have a lot of positives to them, in a sense, they can also dewater, water down, I guess is a better way to say it, our communication efforts. So in other words, everything is done so quickly and people don't necessarily put as much thought into some of their conversations. Is that accurate? Yeah. What I am worried about is that there's a tendency, communication's great deception, Anthony, is that you don't need to worry about it because you do it all the time. But 
nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we're just as in anything else that's skill-based, you can get a lot better with practice. And essentially, what I'm concerned about, it's easier to see if you just take it to the extreme a little, but think about your own day. I may interact with people a hundred times and 90 something percent of those are email, text, or something with social media. To be clear, there's nothing wrong. And not only is there nothing wrong with those ways of communicating, but all of their little quirks aside and all of us, you know, managing our inbox. And so these have been enormous advances. The fact that Three of us are talking for free over a, a Skype line that you can record. I mean, this is, this is a wonderful advance, and there are hundreds of such advances. I mean, that's what we got. We didn't get a revolution in travel, or we didn't get a revolution yet completely in medicine. Or pick your list of what you thought if you were a young child and you thought, look, what's going to change in the future. The revolution we got is communication-based. And most of the new ways to communicate and reach out and connect with each other encourage more expedient ways of communicating. And we're losing the practice with some of the more difficult things we need our communication to do. And so you just take the quick canary test in the coal mine. Just take those four things that I listed, persuasion, argumentation, social support and resolving conflict. And if you're listening to this podcast, ask yourself just this one question. Are you happy with how successful you are today with your conflict resolution skills, with your ability to argue important points, with your ability to persuade people when necessary for your priorities, and with your ability to deliver real-time emotional support when somebody's in need? And if you're okay with that, if you're fine with those skills for you, for the people you supervise, and for your kids, if you have any. If you're fine with all those, then you don't have anything to worry about. Don't worry about what I'm saying. But if you're like many people and you wonder, you know what, Anthony, how come my conversations feel a little more awkward these days? How come I'm having a harder time persuading someone at work that this idea I've had is a good idea? Why is it that when I go to talk to my friend who just lost his dad and I'm trying to comfort this person I've known all my life, that that's a much more fumbly conversation than I like it to be? And I think that I have an answer for that if you're in that category. And the answer is, essentially, the digital revolution encouraged us to play communication checkers all day long. And so when we go to reach for our communication chess skills, we're finding that they're rusty. It doesn't matter how good I am at emailing or even how good I am at trying to persuade people in an email, although I will, as all of our experience suggests, it's a heck of a lot easier to persuade somebody face-to-face for various reasons that we can go into But that's not even what I'm worried about. I'm just worried that we're not, by any stretch of the imagination, getting the amount of practice that we used to get in the more difficult ways of communicating. 
And so a gap has emerged between what we say we want to do with our communication and what we're actually competent to do. And most of the people I talk to don't have a problem believing that something is going on with our communication. But because of communication, it's great deception. Why do I need to practice these things? I do them all the time. It's sometimes hard for people to go to the next step and say, oh, this is skills-based and I'm just not doing it as much as I used to. But that's what I believe is going on. I'm just thinking as you're talking and of the evolution of even my own, how I communicate. And it's like, it was phone calls. Then it was obviously the text messaging became so big. I just realized today, I was reading through your book, Jeff. I don't even text anymore. I hit the little microphone on my iPhone and I speak the text and I hit send. So it's like, we continue to get like, how can we avoid communication? How can we do something quicker? And uh, I'm going to have to take notes myself on this podcast because I got a nine-year-old daughter. And if I could figure out how to persuade her to go to bed a little bit earlier, if you could teach me that, we'll be in a... We'll be in good shape. Yeah. And so I'll say two things about your nine-year-old daughter. The first is that if you want to know how to persuade her, it's the same way that we learn anything, doing it, trial and error. You do. And then you look at what happened and then you try again. And so it's constant refinement. What I do, how to work, what could I improve next time? And then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And eventually skills improve. Now, the flip side is as a combo guy, I'm far more interested in your daughter learning these difficult skills as early as possible. And so the way that you do things like that is that you encourage her with questions that can't be answered in kind of abrupt or expedient form. A classic way of doing this is you ask your child at some point during the day or, you know, whenever you say, hey, tell me something today that made you sad, mad, and glad. And just for her to answer that question about here, this thing made me sad, this thing made me mad, this thing made me glad. You're talking about feelings, and that's more complicated than, you know, she can't just send you an emoticon of right. unsmiley, right? And so you're <laughs> practicing this, she will be practicing something that is harder for me to put my emotions, which swirl around inside of me, into words, which are concrete is a higher order skill. And so in some of the ways that you interact with her, you'll be able to reinforce those. Skills. I mean, that's what I'm concerned with. Look, I've got a nephew. I know how he's going to ask for dates when he gets old enough to date. He's going to send text messages or poke people on social media or whatever the new thing will be by then, right? Because it's the same thing that I would have done had it been available. But it wasn't. In, when I was in high school, it was the 80s, man. Big hair, flock of seagulls. <laughs> there was no text message. And so I had to get rejected to my face over and over again. But I learned some very important stuff. I learned, oh, it looks like rejection is coming. Oh, I see in her face that this isn't going to work. I need to adjust fire. I need to try something different. I need to circle back. I need to try to make this a faux request for face saving, all of these things. And now you fast forward today. I mean, I'm a consultant. I make my living basically asking people for dates for money. So when I go and I, to ask a client for something today, and I'm asking for a project and it's got a price tag, and all of a sudden I can see a look on their face 
and I have this enormous body of experience of asking for stuff to people's face and seeing when I'm about to get rejected or when it's going to go successfully. And it's all there because I have had a much longer time horizon to practice some of these more difficult skills. But what about my nephew? And what about your daughter who have at their disposal much more convenient modes of communication, which again, there's nothing wrong with these modes. This is a revolution and it's wonderful, all of these ways to connect. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that any of us wouldn't be using them overwhelmingly because we're simply communicating a lot more and a lot of our communication can be handled through these more expedient, easier channels, but not everything. I'm arguing only for 90-10. (laughs) 90% can be expedient, but retain 10 to practice the harder stuff because my concern is that we're not at 90-10. We're at 99-1. And when we go to do the one, it's awkward. We're failing more often. And for some of us, that we take the wrong learning from that. The learning we take is, oh, I, you know, that didn't work very well. Maybe I'll just send an email next time. That's the wrong lesson. <laughs> yep. Chris, you got something you want to jump in on it? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask Jeff because it's, it's interesting listening to both of you talk about this because I've got my, uh, my family right now is, uh, we're communicating distance over the ocean, and uh, I was just, I was chuckling to myself with the mic on mute on the emoticon piece because that's, that's predominantly how my, how my nine-year-old daughter uh, communicates with me. So, of course, I've got to ask the question then, through most of my business day, I'm doing almost, Jeff, exactly what you said. I've got probably a, I won't say it's necessarily a 90-10, it's probably more like an 80-20, maybe some days it's a 70-30 split on my communications. But uh, for that person who's who's operating that 99% expedient 1% in your face type of communication situation, how do they balance that dichotomy? How do they set themselves up for success when they have that 1% or that 10% communication window where they're going to have to be able to have that deep face-to-face conversation with somebody when you're right, they're used to hitting short acronyms on their, on their text message keypad? To me, the question is one of looking at the skills and if you're happy and pleased with your success rates in these more difficult interactions. And again, the kind of four canaries in the coal mine are conflict resolution, persuasion, argumentation, and social support. There are others. Storytelling, putting your emotions into words and so forth. There are others. I list many of them in my book. But the kind of the four big ones, conflict resolution, persuasion, argumentation, and social support. And if you're happy right now with your success rate, you don't need to change a thing. You figured something out. But if you're feeling like in any of these areas or even in all of them, you know, I would like to have more success in these interactions. And I would like for these kinds of conversations to be less awkward and a little bit more fluid Then I have a very boring message, which is you have to practice that. There is no substitute for 
if you feel like I'm not as successful arguing as I like to be for important points at work or at home, but let's say at work for now. And it doesn't mean that occasionally you might not argue, you might not frame your argument through email, especially if the person that you're trying to have the argument with is, you know, separated from you by distance and so forth. So, and, and this is a good point. Me framing my argument to you, something that's important at work, I've got an idea and I want, and you two guys are my colleagues. And so I'm going to sit down and go to town on this. And I'm really going to think about this email and I'm even going to draft it and I'll keep it in the draft overnight and I'll come first in the morning and I'll look at it again. And so I craft the perfect email about my idea that I want to persuade you two guys and I send it to you and I may or may not be successful, but that type of persuasion is very different than me getting you guys on the phone and having to field your questions on the fly, having you guys be a little bit more off the cuff and not reading my email and then thinking about your own response, but saying, oh, come on, man, that's a terrible idea. Or wait a minute, man, we tried that five years ago. And me having to scramble and adjust and listen to your tone of voice and try to perceive, uh-oh, Chris is playing Anthony off me and I need to try to get both of them because they're connected at the hip. And all of these things that I would have to do to persuade you on the phone or even more so in person, because then I also have to look at your facial cues, manage the kind of physical space between us and so forth. It's not the same. That real-time persuasion on the phone or real-time plus facial cues and kind of spatial orientation in person, it's much harder. But the thing of it is, no matter how much I want to sit behind my computer all day long and never come out, eventually some of the most important persuading that I'm going to have to do in my life is going to be real-time over the phone a phone call I can't not pick up, or we're actually going to get in a plane and go see a client and I'm going to make a pitch face to face. And so it doesn't matter when I finally fly out to present this to a client, if I'm the greatest emailer of all, because in that face to face meeting, I'm going to have to do a ton of things, respond to questions on the fly, read immediate cues, read the facial cues, manage the spatial orientation, scramble when it's not going my way, know how to close it out, an ongoing conversation when it has gone my way. All of these things, if all I've done before has been the more expedient ways of communicating in this instance, even though I've been persuading all along through my emails, I will find that I don't have enough in the tank. I'm not as practiced as I should be for a lot of the situations that I find myself in, especially the higher stakes one, which often go down in synchronous, real-time communication channels. Hey, Jeff, let me ask you this question. You get to work with a lot of people in a lot of organizations what are the most common communication mistakes that you see in your work? Oh, that's easy. So the, by far the most common is not preparing for important interactions. 
I mean, the craziest thing about it is that people, because of their fear of public speaking, will stay up all night working on PowerPoint slides for a briefing that everyone is sleeping through, nobody cares about during or after, but people will burn midnight oil on stinking PowerPoint because it's public speaking. But the real conversations that turn careers, career turning points, marriage turning points, family turning points, the action and communication happens one-on-one, one-on-two, interpersonal, not public speaking. Public speaking isn't where it's at. Yeah, do you need to know how to give a present? Well, yeah, obviously. But how often do you do it? Not very often. And when you do, how high are the stakes? That's debatable. But the conversations that are going to change your marriage or change the trajectory of your career are happening one-on-one and largely you're having to do them on your feet. (laughs) And again, back to communication's great deception. Why on earth do I need to practice these things? I do it all the time. Everybody knows I'm communicating all the time. I'm communicating more than ever. But the ways that we're communicating aren't giving us the full range of skills that we say that we need for our lives. We want to be successful in creating relationships, building strong linkages. That includes knowing how to establish rapport, push on through early awkwardness in a conversation, rescue an interaction that's heading for the ditch and so forth. And all of these very important things that we say, most of us say, look, I want I want to know how to build important relationships or working at home, and I want to be able to do the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff with my communication. And it simply requires practice of those more difficult skills, which is so boring, and nothing could be more uh, anachronistic in the digital age. What are you talking about? Practice? My communication? Come on. It's the digital age. I just fire it off and go. So it's a throwback. The one thing that when I got, I got married, you know, a little bit over 10 years ago, and my wife thought I was nuts that I had, at the time I was a PhD in communication, but I would make her practice. What what are you going to say? How's it going to come out when something's, and she's like, why on earth would I do this? This is the dumbest thing. I'm like, trust me. All you got to do, Try it a couple times and watch your success rate. Watch what happens to it. And it's the one thing she says that she was very resistant about. She thought I was nuts, but she tried it a couple times and it worked for her because it's so simple. Preparing for a conversation that matters increases the chance of success. It's the number one greatest failure of, it's what people leave on the table all the time. They don't practice. And so I get a phone call after the conversation is blown up. Hey, Jeff, can you help me? I went and I talked with my boss about this very important thing that I want, and he laughed me out of the office. Well, Bubba, it's too late. Ben, you've already given your, you've had your best persuasive attempt, your first one. Your best one is ended in a trail of tears. You should have called before (laughs) so we could think through it before the first time. After the thing is already blown up, 
we're just managing the aftermath. We're not working to shape it from the beginning. Jeff, that's a, that's great advice, and I uh, it actually makes me feel good because you being the communications expert, I had I had a couple chances actually earlier this week with uh, some this couple projects that I'm working on where it was literally there. Well, as I say, it was it was life or death high stakes, but it was pretty pretty important discussions, and uh, I'm glad to know that that I I did the one thing that I was supposed to do, which was prepare for it. So there there weren't any PowerPoint presentations uh, made, but the, but I had to I was I spent a, quite a bit of time getting myself ready to go before I walked in there. So good to know that I was doing it, and we hadn't even had the conversation yet. But um, you know, you are a communications expert, so I got to ask the question, which is probably a natural question. But how did you end up writing a book that encourages people to stop talking? This is the crazy nature of the digital age is that the problem isn't not enough communication. The problem is too much communication. And for all of the reasons that we talked about, it's too much of the easy. It's not enough of the difficult. There's not enough reflection. I mean, people like me who spend their life helping people use their communication as a force for good in people's lives. And so I'm working with people to help them use their communication to achieve what they want in their life. And what's so baffling about the digital age is people in my profession have been trying for hundreds of years, if you want somebody to be more successful with their communication, Essentially, what you want to do, to grossly simplify it, is that you want them to constantly take the other person's perspective, constantly be doing something called perspective taking, but it's just you're always communicating with the dyad in mind, with the other person in mind, and you're trying to create the space for reflection when people talk. Because as long as there's the space for reflection and deliberate thinking, people aren't going to get in as much trouble with their words. And so in my profession, we've been fighting to encourage people to take the other person's perspective and to create the space for deliberation and reflection for hundreds of years. And it's been hard enough pre-digital revolution. But the two things most under attack in the digital age are the other person's perspective. Because, you know, look, man, they didn't call it a Wii phone. They called it an iPhone. And social media is good for a lot of things, but it also happens to encourage a lot of fairly trivial self-expression. So that's all I-based communication, not we-based. It's not perspective-taking. And that's, to a large degree, been encouraged. Our devices, our choices, let us basically do whatever we want and create very individualistic ways of interacting. And so that's made it even harder for the taking the other person's perspective. And then the other piece, which is encouraging reflection, well, it's like what Anthony was saying. Uh, you know, he doesn't even type the characters anymore on a text message. He just hits the microphone button and speaks to it. And that's what we all do because we're busy and we're the shortcutting species. Come on, we're the species that created duct tape and post-it notes. I mean, we love a shortcut. And so I'm going to try to figure out how to 
even with what's expedient now, make it increasingly expedient. And every time that I try to figure out how to squeeze an extra fraction of a second off my interaction, what I'm actually doing is squeezing out that little bitty patch of deliberation that is the turf I need the most to make sure that my communication is as good as it can possibly be. And so some of the inherent forces of the digital revolution, and again, to repeat a point, I don't want to go back. I couldn't be happier that the revolution that we had was communication. That's great. I'm fine that we're flying around basically in the same planes and driving the same cars that we were from the 1940s and 50s. You know, they use gas, they use fossil fuels, they have rubber on the tires and metal all around them. It's basically the same, but we got the communication revolution. I'm delighted that that's what we got, but the revolution is underperforming. And the reason that it's underperforming is because we need the new ways and we need to carry forward with us enough of the old ways so that the difficult things we want our communication to be able to do for us and for our children aren't lost in the transition to increasingly expedient and convenient ways to communicate when so much of what I need to do is painfully slow and inefficient. But by the way, it's it's those face-to-face, high-touch, if you will, slow, inefficient, interpersonal connections that actually give me so much joy and fulfillment in my work and home life. That's pretty awesome. Jeff, I got one more question I want to ask you, and then we're going to move into the Take Action Today segment of the show, and I'm going to have Jeff kind of give you an off-the-wall piece of counterintuitive advice that you can try to implement. So before we get into the last segment, Jeff, one question for you. Engineers are our primary audience, and a lot of times there can be friction. You work on project teams. You work for a supervisor who's usually running a project or running your department. A lot of engineers contact me with issues with their boss, supervisor, whatever the case may be. So it could be a million different issues, but the bottom line is, what advice would you give someone who has to approach their supervisor about uneasy situation? What are a couple things maybe you can just throw out that might be helpful for them in that kind of a situation? Let me give some general advice and then let me make it a little bit more specific. So the first general advice which I'll, I'll say to almost anything, is that you, look, you need to be an experimenter and you need to think of each interaction that you're having as something that I can learn from. And I'm going to try this technique to, this time and I'm going to see how that goes for me. And then when it's done, I'm going to think about, okay, what happened? What went well? What didn't? And so forth. And so think more like an experimenter because that's how you build expertise by thinking through what you want to do, using the technique, deploying it, and then seeing what happened and asking that critical question, you know, what happened and did that work for me? So that's the general advice. The specific advice, if it's a difficult topic or something that you want to say that you're worried about how it might be perceived, is write down the main pillars. Most important messages have one or maybe two pillars. And so if you're trying to basically talk to your boss about, look, uh, basically, I, I want to take on more responsibility. 
So the first pillar is the actual technical part of that message. You have a one sentence message here in that case. I want to take on more responsibility. But you need a second pillar in this instance because you want to be not face threatening or you want to try to have that first message, which on its own could be come across as too brash or forthright with your boss. You want to kind of ease into that. And so your second pillar is what is it that you're going to say to try to prevent immediate or reflexive rejection? And so without getting too deep into it, most persuasive attempts, the very first thing that you're trying to do is prevent that reflexive rejection, because then people start off with no, and you have to work them off a no. And so in this instance, I would recommend, okay, the second pillar is what are you going to say to your boss to try to make that a softer startup? And that pillar may be something along the lines of, look, I can't thank you enough for all that you've taught me and taken me under my wing. You know, you put it in your own words, but the basic idea is the technical part of what I need to say to my boss is I need more responsibility. But this pillar that's going to help me ease into it is something along the lines of, depending on what actually happened in this condition, look, I can't be more grateful for the way you've taken me under my wing. I've learned a ton in the 18 months that I've been here and I'm ready for more. I'm ready for more responsibility. And so you might ease into the straight message that you have by more clearly acknowledging at the beginning everything that your boss has done for you in this case to help you get comfortable in in the organization. And so by the time you've done that, you've identified what your two pillars are. I would have you actually say it. Let's have, let's actually full combat speed, have the interaction a couple times. You'll have put it in your own words. You'll have realized, oh, I thought it sounded so easy in my head, but when I actually start to say it, it's harder. So you'll start to firm up the actual words. You'll get comfortable with a couple kind of key sentences that your message hangs around. And you'll be much more likely to prevent reflexive rejection during that conversation. And so that's how I would recommend both specific and at the general level preparing for a difficult conversation with your boss. Thanks so much, Jeff. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go into our Take Action Today segment of the show so Jeff can give you really one piece of actionable advice that you can take with you. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. And, you know, you've listened to this whole podcast, and now we want to leave you with something that's really actionable. So we still have Jeff Tumlin here with us, author of Stop Talking and Start Communicating. And Jeff, in your book, you give a lot of different counterintuitive pieces of advice, whether it's don't be yourself, lose your friends, play dumb, ignore your heart, don't solve problems, and so on and so forth. Can you take one of them here for the end of the show to close us out and tell us what it is and tell us how someone could utilize that in their career kind of immediately and in their life, their personal life as well, and start to see some improvements in their communication efforts? Sure. One of my chapters is titled, Give People What They Want. And it's about storytelling because people love stories. And so if you want to be a better communicator, practice being a storyteller 
and tell stories more often. And it doesn't have to be once upon a time, there was this person and this person. It doesn't have to be like that. Just telling things in narrative form. So when you're done, listen to the podcast, go to your significant other, go to your kids and tell them a story. Tell them a story about the day. Tell them a story at the end of the day. Listen to one of their stories. Tell them a story about one of their crazy aunts or crazy uncles or a time that you and one of their family members did something really unusual when you were kids. And then the next day, tomorrow at work, find an opportunity where when you were going to put something together and give three points, and here's the evidence, add a story to that as well. Don't just talk about why this particular idea that you have is the best course of action when you evaluate all the alternatives. Tell a story about what that's going to mean when you actually bring this idea forth. What's it going to mean to the end users of the product? What problem is it solving? Told not that well, this will help us be more efficient, but tell the story about a problem from two months ago that bedeviled a customer and put it in human terms. And that's the thing that I would say to practice and do immediately and get back in the habit of being a storyteller, putting things in narrative form that, along with a lot of the other ideas that we talked about on the phone call today, can help us take better advantage of the remarkable innovations of the digital age and still be successful in the full range of communication that we need for our life at work and at home. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show here today and sharing some of your wisdom with us. Where can our listeners find you, learn more about you as a website, or where can you refer them to? I'll give you two. My author website with links to a lot of my interviews and the stuff that I've written is at tumlin.com, T-U-M-L-I-N.com. And then the communication company where I do a lot of my work in the areas that we've talked about tonight is mouthpiececonsulting.com mouthpiece, P-E-A-C-E, consulting.com. So either tumlin.com or mouthpiececonsulting.com. Great. And we're going to link to those sites and Jeff's book in the show notes for this show, which you'll be able to find at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash start communicating. And we'll also list a summary of the show there with some of the main points that Jeff made today. So I hope you enjoyed the episode today. One thing that I'll ask you to consider is if you're interested in taking your engineering career kind of to that next level, consider trying out our private community, which is the Institute for Engineering Career Development, where we help engineers succeed in both work and life. We focus on skills like communication skills that Jeff talked about, also networking, leadership, and other things. Christian and I are actually in the process of kind of retooling it and adding more benefits to the Institute, which are going to happen in May. However, you can get in now for the pricing today and you'll be able to have that long term even with all the improvements that are coming. So check that out at engineeringcareerdevelopment.com. And until next time, I hope that you continue to engineer your own success. If you want to hear more episodes of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or go to engineeringcareercoach.com where you will find tons of free engineering career resources. 
Just click the Start Here button on the site for an easy-to-navigate index of all of the resources available. You can also follow Anthony Fasano on Twitter at Anthony J. Fasano or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash engineer your own success. Until the next time, thanks for listening.